As always, if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Colossians chapter 3 so that we can read along together. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, there should be some in the, in the pews or seatbacks in front of you. There should be one within, within arm's reach. Two weeks ago, we talked about some of the attitudes and the sinful behaviors and actions that uh, we as Christians needed to get rid of, that were part of our old life. And Paul said, these things shouldn't follow you into your new life. They need to be done away with. So he spoke of them almost like, like a garment it was the language he used. Get off that, that, that filthy old stuff. And then last week we talked about, talked about what we needed to put on, some of the, the virtues and the actions and the attitudes that as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, those are the things that we need to go out and get. We talked about loving each other and, and being patient with one another and a number of, other, number of other attitudes that we're supposed to display with our fellow Christians. And now he shifts the focus group to a little bit tighter circle and he's going to talk about our attitudes and actions within those who are closest to us, specifically those who are in our household. And he's going to talk about husbands, he's going to talk about wives, he's going to talk about parents and and kids, and, and slaves, and masters. And that's why he includes us together here. Uh, he includes slaves and uh, slave owners, because that was a part of their culture back then. We're going to read that in a second. Um, that was a part of, very much part of their culture. Almost every household that he would have been writing to would have had some, some form of a slave in, in the household, just because it was, it was built into the fabric of their lives. He doesn't address whether that slavery was right or wrong in this passage, but what he is addressing is how we're supposed to interact with those who are in our household. And while slavery is not common here in the United States today, it's been obviously abolished some time ago, I think that there's some direct application to the work relationship between employers and employees. His first reference was to slave owners and slaves, but there's also some, some direct application to, to how we handle our relationships in the work environment. So we're going to talk about that as we get to that section. So read along with me. Starting in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul writes, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Do not not by, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but when, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven." Please take a moment and, and bow with me as we just ask for, for God's wisdom as we walk through these verses. Dear God, I'm so thankful once again as we have the opportunity to open up your word together. And I ask that you would give us understanding in these things. Father, marriage is one of the greatest and most mysterious gifts you've given to us. And we know that many, many today are just struggling trying to keep their heads above water in their marriage relationship. Father, I know that there are people here who are struggling with their, their parenting and, and just scratching their heads as to, 
what to do with their teenager or young child. And there are many here who as is, is, is kids who maybe the teenagers themselves who are just at their wits' ends with their, with their parents. God, there are many who in the workplace are struggling with, with their boss or, or employers today who are, who are just fed up with the, the lack of work ethic that they're getting out of their employees. Father, whatever, whatever we need to hear this morning, I, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Wherever each person is at in their relationships with those closest to them, God, give us some, some nuggets of truth that, that just are, will be buried deep within our hearts and that we take them and apply them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple had been married for nearly 50 years, or for 50 years. They were celebrating their golden anniversary and they, they had a party thrown for them. The husband was very moved by the occasion and wanted to tell his wife just how much he thought of her. She was hard of hearing, however, and often misunderstood what he said. So with family and friends gathered round, he gave the toast and said, My dear wife, after 50 years, I've found you tried and true. Everyone clapped for them, but his wife was a little irritated and said, What did you say? He spoke a little louder. After 50 years, I've found you tried and true. His wife was now visibly upset and shouted back, well, after 50 years, I'm tired of you too. <laughs> Some marriages reflect the attitude of one husband who looked out the window and said to his wife, on a beautiful day like today, it's hard to believe anyone can be unhappy, but we'll work on it. <laughs> Unfortunately, for some of our marriages, that's, that's the prevailing attitude. Uh, we've, we've, maybe some have, have long given up. We've thrown up our hands. And said, I don't know what to do with her. I don't know what to do with him. And the Apostle Paul here briefly gives us some commands that will point us in the right direction. And so he turns his attention from the physical family, uh, or from the spiritual family that we have been emphasizing, to the physical family. So the title of our message is At Work and at home. And the first thing I want you to look at is uh, the idea of at home. At home. If you have your notes there, uh, there's a few blanks that you can uh, follow along with. But Paul is a bit sparse when doling out in marriage advice. Uh, if, you look at, if you look at the New Testament in general, there are, there are just not a ton of paragraphs. There's not a lot of ink spilled to how we work out the marriage relationship. I think one of those reasons is that as we begin to put on the virtues that we talked about last week, some of those issues that come up in our marriage are going to begin to work themselves out. And we'll see that here as we look at these verses. First of all, Paul says in Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So that the first point in your notes is, is wives, submit. We'll just move right along. Number two... Just because it may not be all that culturally agreeable, uh, the truth is still here in scriptures. The command for wives to submit to their husbands is biblical. Don't worry, wives. We're going to get to the husbands in a second. Despite what modern feminism might teach, God has ordained 
different roles for both men and the women. Men are given the unique position of authority and leadership, both at the home and in the church. And instinctively, whether, whether we will verbally agree with this or not, instinctively we recognize this, right? If, if a husband and wife are, are awoken by a, a noise in the night, who's supposed to go take care of it? And we all recognize that if the, if the husband pulls the, the sheets over his head and says, honey, go check it out. We chuckle at that because we recognize that's, that's not her job. That's his job. He's supposed to be the one to take care of that stuff. And so we recognize even instinctively that, that God has given that husband a, a position in the home where he's supposed to be taking care of his family. He's the one to provide for them. He's the one that's supposed to nurture and love them and to look out for them. In a parallel passage in Ephesians, which explains, expands this concept a little bit more. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 5, 23 and 24, he says, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, the body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. But let's listen, listen carefully. I want to share a couple of things that this doesn't mean right off the bat. First of all, this does not mean that God is, is telling us that the wife is somehow inferior to her husband. God created man and woman in his image. He created them as equals. He gave his son for both of them. And if you read the, the whole, get the whole picture of the New Testament, you'll see that, that God has, has made it very clear that in Christ, there's no distinction between the sexes, between different races. God has brought all together in Christ. And so what this passage is certainly not teaching is that the wife is somehow inferior to the husband. Um, secondly, this does not teach that the husband can do whatever he wants. This does not teach that the husband gets to do whatever he wants. The husband needs to follow these virtues listed in Scripture just as much as the wife does. And as we're going to see in just a second... The, the command given to the husbands is far steeper than, than the one given to the wives. God does not allow husbands to run roughshod over their wives, doing whatever they want, acting as tyrants, pushing them around and bullying them into submission. And thirdly, this does not mean that the wife is to follow him into sin. When it says, uh, wives, submit to your husbands, um, it is not by any way teaching that if, if your husband is an unbeliever, if he's living a sinful life, that you go along uh, with, with what he's doing and you follow him in that pattern of disobedience. You can respectfully and lovingly say, for example, if your husband is, uh, is telling you you shouldn't go to church on Sunday, you need to stay home with him, uh, you need to, to stay away from those Christians. You can respectfully and, and lovingly say, I care about you. I want to I be able to spend time with you on the weekends, but I really need to find time to worship because God word, God's word tells me that I need to, to be in the fellowship of my fellow believers. And so you can uh, lovingly and respectfully say, I, I'm going I'm to be with those Christians. And at the same time, by taking a firm stance on that, you're, you're being a witness and a testimony to him. And by God's grace, hopefully he's going to be chiseling away at your husband's heart. So submitting to your husband does not mean that you follow him 
into sin. But what, what does it mean? I found this, this quote here that says that submission refers to a wife's divine calling to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. It's not an absolute surrender of her will. Rather, we speak of her disposition to yield to her husband's guidance and her, her inclination to follow his leadership. It doesn't mean that you don't get a voice in the marriage. It doesn't mean that your opinion doesn't matter. But what it is is that you have a disposition, a humble heart that is willing to lead, uh, willing to yield to his guidance and your willingness to follow his leadership. This is not easy. We all know, as, as we were reading through those virtues last week, there were some of those where I'm sure, if you're like me anyways, where you said, but God... I can't do that. I can't forgive that person. I can't be patient with that person. They, they grade on me so much. I can't love this person. And maybe as a, as a wife, you're sitting there thinking, there is no way I'm going to submit to my husband. There is no way. He is a buffoon. He's an idiot. And I don't, I don't want to listen to anything he has to say. And maybe, just maybe, your husband has, has really screwed up in the past. Maybe it was, it was some financial mistake. Maybe it was a mis- moral sin. And you have decided that you will never, ever let him forget that. And you dangle that over his head and you manipulate him and, and you control him and you, and you push him down into sub- submission because there is no way that you're going to submit to someone like that. I'm just reading to you what God's Word said. This is not a cultural command. This is not something that simply applied to first century Christians. This is found throughout the New Testament. And what's, what's interesting is, and, and before we think that this, if you're still thinking that, that this command is somehow making you inferior, remember your Savior, Jesus Christ. What did He say? He said, I've come to do my Father's will. Do you remember in the garden, Jesus Christ was praying to who? To to the Father. And what was his prayer request? He was asking if this cup of suffering might be taken from him. As he was going through that great agony in the garden, as he was preparing for and and knew what was coming, the emotional agony was, was so great that he asked his Father, he said, God, would if there's another way we can do this, if there's any, any other way to atone for the sins of your people, please, please, now is the time. See, Jesus Christ, even though he is fully God, part of the Trinity, created the world. The Bible says that he came submissive to the will of his Father. He placed himself under the will of the Father. Now, don't ask me to explain that any further. How the Trinity could be arranged as such so that you have three in one, three equal beings, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet the Son and the Spirit be submissive to the will of the Father. I don't fully understand that. What I do realize from that heavenly picture is that even within the Trinity— God has arranged for different roles and, and different, different fulfillments of those roles. And so lest we think that submitting to your husband 
is somehow an icky thing, somehow a a first century archaic thing. Remember that that was the role that your Savior played as he came to this earth, submitting to the will of his Father. And so, wives, as we think about submitting to your husband, it's, it's not in a way that places demands on him. I'll submit to him if this. I'll do this if he shapes up. But God says, be willing to submit unconditionally. No matter how he's acting, be willing to submit to your husband without attaching strings. Here in the next verse, verse 19, he shifts to the husbands and he says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh, or some translations say embittered toward her. Paul is reminding husbands in what was an earth-shattering command that they were to love their wives. See, one thing that, that was certainly different in the first century was that wives were really not considered a whole lot more than property. They were slightly above the slaves, but they really had little or no rights in their first century culture. And for the apostle to come along and tell husbands to love their wives would have shook some of these Colossian Christians right out of their seats. You mean I'm supposed to to love her? To care for her? To, to gently take care of her and, and meet her needs? And, and to even make it more astounding... Paul used the same word that he just used back in, in verse 12 when he spoke of us being uh, God's beloved. It's, it's the word agape, right? And, and, and most of us have, have heard the differentiations between the, the different words of love in the, in the Greek language. And the, the word agape was the, the strongest word that he could have used for love that the Greek language had. It reflected God's love for us. In fact, the apostle took it a step further in in the Ephesians 5 passage where he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now think about that just a second. Men, we are supposed to love our wives in the same way that Jesus loves his church. I don't want you to think about that too long because it'll start to get really convicting. Jesus came to this earth and what did he do? He died. He died. He gave up his life. He gave up his life for the church. Now some of you might be sitting there thinking, sure, I'd die for my wife. I I could do that. But that's not what he's asking you to do here. He's not asking you to step in front of an tr- intruder in the middle of the night. That's, we should do that, but that's not what he's saying here. When he's saying love your wife in a sacrificial way, that's day in and day out. Just as Christ gave himself up, was willing to surrender his rights, men as, as husbands on a daily basis, that's what God's calling us to do. He's calling us to put aside our other priorities, maybe our hobbies sometimes, maybe our right to do what we want at the end of a long work day, 
and love our wives in a sacrificial way. Love in a way that it hurts a little bit. Love in a way that you have to give up something else that you really, really, really want to do. That's what he's saying here. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Do not be embittered against her and, or do not be harsh towards her. Either of those translations can make sense in the language and either of those translations are things that we can understand as men. If he means harsh by that, he just means stop being a, a gruff, grumpy old man. If, he's, if, he, if the translation is embittered is, is in Paul's mind, then he's saying, listen, don't get embittered towards your wife if she's not doing her part. Keep loving sacrificially. Don't turn around and say, well, she's not submissive. She's not respectful to me. She didn't ever thank me for all the hard work I do. She doesn't ever appreciate me for, for who I am. He's saying, don't, if, if that's your wife, don't get bitter. Don't develop a bitter spirit toward her and take it out on her. So love your wives as Christ loved the church. How do we accomplish these things? Wives being submit, submitful and, and respect, submitting and being respectful to your husband. Husbands loving your wife in a sacrificial way. Those are tall orders. And some of you are saying, yes, especially if you live with the person I do. How does God expect me to obey these commands if I'm sitting next to this guy? Here's the, here's the great thing about God's grace. He didn't wait till we shaped up or deserved it before he showed it to us. He said, and in Romans 5, he said, while we were still his enemies, enemies, God demonstrated his love toward us. And so husbands and wives, we need to be willing to submit to God's word and, and be obedient to these commands. No matter where our spouse is at in their walk, we don't say, I'm going to wait for them to get their act together and then I'm going to do this. The command is, begin doing this now. And by God's grace, you take little steps. Don't expect to be able to do this on your own. This is, this is a, a God-sized task, right? But it is a task that we're called to and not allowed to ignore. And there, there are lots of practical ways that you can begin putting these things into play right now. And so I want to encourage you to Start even making a list on your notes at the end of the service of, of ways, wives, how, how can I be respectful to my husband? How can I go out of my way today to let him know that I respect him as the head of our household, that I want to honor his leadership, his God-ordained leadership? Husbands, start making some notes. What are some things that my wife really loves and appreciates? What are some things that I know she would love for me to do today that I don't really want to do? Write that down and, and take steps to getting it done. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them. All right, so I spent most of the time with husbands and wives, but we have two, a couple other groups here we want to make sure we address. Thirdly, or, uh, thirdly, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Verse 20. I'm sorry, I quoted the Ephesians passage. Uh, Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Children, obey 
your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. If you're here and you're a child still living under your parents' roof, I'm going to talk to you for just a minute. God calls you to listen to mom and dad. Now that's tough. I was a kid once. I have kids today who have mentioned to me that it's difficult sometimes. But God calls you to listen to what your parents tell you to do. And notice that, um, notice that he, the, the reason, the, the rationale, the end game here. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Ultimately, God asks you to obey mom and dad because it's pleasing to God. It honors your Savior. Now, initially, sometimes we do good things so that we don't get disciplined, right? I mean, I still remember that as a kid, that you learn to obey just so that you can avoid a a spanking or something. And so I remember that early on as a child. You just kind of, you learned that there were right things to do and there were wrong things to do and there were consequences if, if you didn't do the right things. But as you grow up and mature, and, and, and if you become a Christian, and God is at work on your young heart, that mentality should shift a little bit, that I'm going to do the right things, not simply so I don't get in trouble, but simply because it pleases God. And parents, this is a reminder that as you're raising your children, that you need to instill in them the rationale for doing what is right. The I told you so line of thinking will only get you so far. But as you, as you train and, and shepherd your child's heart and draw them closer to their Savior, make sure that you point out that being obedient to, to their parents is, is acting as obedience to God. And when they do the right thing, they are serving their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it's such an important Shift in thinking. Next he goes into fathers, don't provoke. Number four, fathers, don't provoke. Verse 21, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Why does he just address the fathers? I mean, both parents should be involved there. Uh, I think for a couple reasons. First of all, because God assigns, just as the, as the husband is, is the head of the home in relation to leading his wife, he's also the head of, home, head of the home in leading his children. And so if you look back even in the, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, um, I think I wrote down the reference here, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, there's a couple of verses in there, verse 7 and verses 20 through 25. The father was responsible for the religious and moral training of the children. And that's, that permeates the Old Testament. And that trickles on into the New Testament as well. Dads, it ultimately lands on our shoulders to teach our kids the Word of God. Yes, mom has, maybe mom even spends more time with them during the day, especially if she's a stay-at-home mom. She's going to see them for a lot more hours than we are as dads. But listen, God ultimately rested upon your shoulders to train your kids in the Word. And I just want to say this. Do not let it be your wife who is only praying with the kids, kids and opening up God's Word with the kids. That is not, first and foremost, her role. That's your job. She, 
can do it all she wants during the day. But make sure that you're taking the opportunity to lead with your kids by spending some time, whether it's, whether it's in the morning, at breakfast time, before you guys all go off to your day, or it's at the end of the day, is they're having a chance to go, go into bed. Do not leave this on your wife's shoulders because ultimately God, God puts it on you to making sure that they are being raised in the Word of God. The other reason I think that he addresses the fathers primarily is because he knows what we're like. Fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't don't be a burden on them. He knows that the dads are going to be a bit more like, uh, likely to do this than the moms. This involves attitudes and words. See if this, this represents you at all. That would drive a child to angry exasperation or resentment. This could be excessively severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, abusing your authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging and condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation and all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities. One writer just kind of listed those things off. And as I look through that list, I see that that would more commonly represent a a father rather than a mother. I'm not saying moms aren't tempted to do those things as well. But as dads, we need to be especially tuned in to those things in our life and and looking out, am I exasperating my child? Am I driving them to rebellion by being harsh and heavy-handed? We need to look and make sure that that's not a part of our parenting. Finally, Paul addresses the the work situation. And again, as we said at the outset, Paul Paul really was addressing a a master-slave relationship that was would have been part of most households in, in, that, in that culture. But I think that there's secondary application to the, to the work environment. Hopefully your, your boss isn't literally a slave driver. But uh, the command that slaves must obey their masters and everything is jarring to those who consider the institution of slavery to be abhorrent. In the first century, however, it was an entrenched reality that the early Christians could neither change nor ignore Paul does not sanctify slavery with these commands, but subtly undermines its very premises while encouraging obedience as an expression of loyalty to the family group. So first of all, as we think about the, the, uh, the master-slave relationship, we want to think about the employees. Um, just briefly, uh, he says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Um, so first, first off, he says, work obediently. Work obediently. If you're still in the workforce, listen to your employer's instructions. When, when, they, when they ask you to do something, don't turn your back and do the opposite. Don't spend time undermining their authority, criticizing them in the break room. Um, don't do things with a, a superficial manner. I think that's what he means by eye service. Uh, he says, um, don't do it as uh, man, people pleasers. Uh, you're not working for ulterior motives. But number two, you're working for the glory of God. Work for the glory of God. He reminds us in verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You are not on the job primarily to earn a paycheck or even to to make your your boss happy, but you are there to honor God. So as you work, do it heartily as unto God. Whether you are a a street sweeper, whether you are a a high-end executive, anything in between, uh, God calls you to do everything as unto the Lord. Do it for the glory of God. 
You're not doing it to earn pats on the back, but you're doing it to please him. And then number three, you're working for a heavenly paycheck, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You're working for a heavenly paycheck. And then to the employers, he tells them to be just and fair. Employers, be just and fair. And if you fall into that category this morning, remember that God was co- is calling you to deal in an honorable way with those who are working for you. Slave owners in that day were not to be harsh. They weren't to treat their slaves in an inhumane way. And so present-day employers are reminded that they have an, an obligation to treat their employees in a way, that, a way that honors God. Be just and fair with them. So as we think about this whole broad range of commands for the Christian household, uh, my, my primary focus this morning was to remind husbands and wives of their roles in the household. We could have spent a, a sermon probably on, on each one, but God calls us to fulfill these roles. These are not suggestions, remember, just like the ones last week. These are, these are imperatives. These are commands. So if you're a wife today, remember that God calls you to be respectful and submissive to your husband's leadership. Even if he's not in the place that you think he should be, spiritually speaking. Are you a husband? God calls you to sacrificially love your wife as Christ loves the church and to humbly lead your home. If you're a child, God calls you to listen to mom and dad. Be obedient to them as unto the Lord. And if you're a father, remember, don't provoke your children. Don't don't be heavy-handed. Don't put rules above your relationship with them. If you're an employee, honor your employer and God by working hard, doing it with with an eye to please God and not man. And if you're an employer today, remember to be just and fair. Do what's right with your employees. Wherever we're at in life, I hope a passage like this just reminds you, wherever you're at in life, God's word is directly applicable to real life situations. And many, many of our most difficult moments in life, our most bitter disputes, our greatest sins, our biggest struggles, they happen within the four walls of our home. And so these challenges this morning remind us of the roles that we have to play in the attitudes and actions that God calls us to do, both at work and at home. Let's pray. God, your word is timeless and true. And the commands and exhortations you give to your children apply across the centuries. And today they they come right into our living room, right with the the struggles, the, the difficulties that many of us are right in the middle of right now. God, I want to pray for the marriages in our church. God, strengthen them. I believe that you are all-knowing and that you are all-wise. And you know with these commands that we read today 
that they would take care of a great deal of our marriage problems if we followed them. If, if we did these things, husbands love, wives submit. If we did these things, God, I, I truly believe that so many of the divorces that take place would be averted. And so God, I want to I ask that you would stir our hearts to fulfill the roles that you call us to as, as husbands, wives, as parents, kids, and out in the workforce as well. By your grace, let us be able to um, step forward and take on this high calling that you've placed on our life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.